to the Sketchulous Podcast. My name is James. This is a true horror podcast by someone who is terrified of true horror. Hi, that's me. My name is James. Today, I am joined by my friend Gabby. Hi, Gabby. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, what's going on? Not a lot. Just here to talk about some scary shit. Can yes. I say that? Oh, you can swear as much as you like. Thank God. Wait, do you mean say shit like swear? Yeah, just that. You can swear as much as you like. <laughs> um, the dog needs to sit over there because we want to so. hear you breathing. All right, sit down. Sit. Sit down. No, sit down. Go lie down. You're just going to knock it for attention because she'll, oh, she'll keep coming back. Sorry. And we'll hear, we'll hear that. Yeah. We don't want to hear that. Um, okay, so Gabby. Yes. Um, it's so good to have you here because... Thank you. Um, I know that you when we were like because we used to be very very close in high mm, school mm, mm. You used to be <laughs> well like so sad we used to hang out it's literally all the time yeah yeah Asa, please <laughs> we used to have like sleepovers all the time and we used all to watch... the time but i hated them <laughs> what did you hate because <laughs> because uh james has to sleep with a fan on i do and i am freezing all the time in summer i sleep with a doona and we were always sharing a bed so and I had was, to have the fan on me. And you're one of those people that gets cold very easily. So easily. I yeah. Well, do you know the reason why I sleep with the fan all the time? Uh, I think I anxiety? told you Anxiety? Kind of, because like I have audible, I used to have um, audible hallucinations when I was a kid. Oh my God, no, I didn't yeah, know that. It was like, um, my brother has it as well. We talked about it one day. And Does your mom much, have it? I haven't, I haven't. Is really, it genetic? I think so. Mm. But it pretty much was um, in the middle of the night, I would hear a man screaming. <laughs> Like at the top of his lungs, yeah. That's disgusting. And it used to scare me so, so much that I would start sleeping with a fan to kind of um, offset the noise. That makes sense. And now it's a comfort thing. That makes sense. It does. It's a little bit different, but I put a teaspoon in my cup of tea for comfort. A little bit different. A little bit different. But I understand the comfort. But along the same lines, which is good. (laughs) So similar. (laughs) And we used to always watch horror movies, remember that? I used to always force you to watch. Yes, and um, Bjork. We used to always... A lot of Bjork. A lot of Bjork. But I remember we also watched, um, I think it was called The Last Exorcism, and it was like a, it was a camera, shaky cam horror movie about an exorcism, and then in the special features, it was like, <gasps> you can listen to the real... Do you remember? Oh my God, I remember now. Yeah. It was like, you can listen to this special prayer. The real, the real, it was like the real recordings of the exorcism. It, but there, okay, so no, no, so it was like, you could listen, oh my God, you could listen to the real recordings of the exorcism, so the voices that came out of the person of the devils, but... Before that, the bit that freaked me out was there was a prayer on the screen that we had to say to protect mm. ourselves. And yeah. I was fine. I thought it was funny until that. And then I, <laughs> I was like, oh. I remember I, could, I was actually scared to go to sleep that night. That freaked me out. Like anything to do with like religions and exorcisms <laughs> and shit. Oh, they're the worst. They scare me so much because I've seen so many horror movies and I've read so many stories of like true exorcisms obviously like the ones that occurred in like the 50s and 60s a lot of the people that were exercised would eventually either die or just go to mental institutions because like instead of their parents believing that the person was mentally ill they would just blame it on the devil or like yeah and it was really sad so like you know all those hallucinations and stuff are all just symptoms of like schizophrenia it's like yeah your mind plays a huge yeah. part in it it is and um yeah so i don't know how to segue yeah <laughs> i'm like is this I'm, coming back yeah, around no, i'm segueing into um i remember yeah in high school there was a time where you had a horrible experience i don't know if you're comfortable yeah talking yeah if you're comfortable talking about it but, but uh, um the story 
Oh, we do that after. We do that after. Oh, thank God. So we hear your story first. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so, so ready. So what, um, what happened? Like, uh, yeah. I, okay, so on the topic of exorcisms, I grew up with <laughs> going through a fair few exorcisms. So it's like, I am weird. I don't mind watching horror movies where they're in them, but it's a little bit weird for me because it's like, I look back at them and go, so much of it is mm. in your mind. But then there's like some things that are still unexplainable. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Have you had experiences where something is unexplainable? Unexplainable, yeah. Oh, okay. So like um, one, like this one is like, it was scary at the time. Mm. Very scary at the time. But it's funny now, looking back. I had one where um, I was taken to somewhere in Sydney and uh, tell me if this is too much detail. No, there's no such thing. Thank God. Um, so I was taken to Sydney and it was fully like... Wait, sorry, who were you taken by? My mum. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I was like uh, being a bitch as a teenager. So she was like, we need to get that out of you. Okay. So I went to um, this place in Sydney. It was a church and it was like, you know, in like a... Have you seen this? What is it? Kingsman? Secret yeah. service. Yeah. So, you know, in Kingsman, they've got like those secret entryways and hallways and things like yeah. that. Literally, there was a bookcase that they pressed and it opened up <gasps> a hole in the wall. Literally. And I'm like 14, 15. So I'm like, whoa, what is happening? It opens up and they take you through all these hallways and all these other secret entryways. And they put you in this room and they put me in this room and they were like, what we're going to do now is um, we are going to suppress the spirit of Gabby. So they were basically saying, the dominant spirit of my being is me, Gabby. Yeah. But we're going to suppress you. So you're no longer allowed to speak unless these other spirits living inside of you, like these other people living inside of you want to come out and talk, but we don't want to talk to you, Gabby. We don't want to hear from you. Mm. And so they sit, they sit you in the room for about an hour until you kind of get used to that. Because I might go to talk and they're like, no, no, we're not talking to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Were they and asking then, you questions and things? So, yeah. So once they feel like they've kind of waited long enough that you're actually like not talking back now then they'll start asking you questions so they started saying things like um do you know and I realized looking back like at the time I was terrified Mm. but I realized looking back that they were kind of feeding information to me a little bit so they were kind of like um all right so Gabby or the person of Gabby who's suppressed at the moment um they never acknowledged me directly they always you know the person of Gabby um, we can see that there's, you know, Margaret. Actually, one of them was Elizabeth. We can mm. see that there's someone here called Elizabeth. And Elizabeth came to you when you were seven years old and something really traumatic had happened to you. Elizabeth, can we speak to you? <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, um, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, you can. <laughs> and then they kind of, you know, lead you through this discussion. And basically what happens is um, they're kind of saying, you know, the person of Gabby had a really traumatic experience when she was seven years old. So then Elizabeth had room to come in and live with my spirit mm. in my body as well um, to kind of fill that void or that trauma that happened when I was seven. I don't know what that trauma was, mm. but that's what they're saying. Um, and then basically then what they do, they get to know Elizabeth a little bit. Just any question you can think of to get to know a person, they get to know her a bit. And then they'd say, look, thank you so much for meeting us Elizabeth what we'd like to do is we'd like to introduce you to our friend okay no worries Uh, our friend's name is Jesus and then I'm telling you this one day I was in there for 13 hours and they did seven different people 
seven different ones. Two of them were boys. And I remember the first boy I had to do going, oh, yes. <laughs> like, I remember trying to change my voice because I just didn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> so there was, like, a, that was, like, the funny one. So, like, each, each of the seven people, they would get them to become a Christian. Mm. And then once they gave their life to Jesus then that person was no longer inside of me. Mm. So that was scary. Were you consciously, were you like, were you thinking in your head, there's no boy here? There's no Elizabeth? No, I was, they keep you in a room. I was 14, 15. They kept Mm. me in that room for like an hour before even speaking to me. I was very, very scared. Mm. So when they were talking to the girls, I was a bit more convinced that it was real. Mm. I was very, very convinced and like growing up very spiritual. I've seen other things that are unexplainable. So I was like, this must be real. (laughs) This is real. Um, But then when it was like, I remember that split second when it was like the boy's name is a weird name. It was Lacro. I don't know how to say it. It was like, I just... They spelt it. It was like L-A space C-R-O-I-X. LaCroix. Yeah. It's like that drink in America. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was like the cross. (laughs) Like I didn't know what it was in French or something. But I remember that split second of going, oh, I'll talk in a deeper voice. Mm. And then after they spoke to that guy (laughs) and got rid of him... Then they were like, we're going to bring back the person of Gabby now. And I would come back, like Mm. I would feel myself again. And they'd be like, did you notice that your voice was so deep? Did you notice this? Did you notice that? Like things that I didn't notice. And then they'd tell me and I was like, holy hell. Like 13 hours of it, I think it was like a mini brainwashing. Mm. So like I definitely, I thought it was strange for sure. Like your alarm bells are going off, but then I believed it so much. And then I came home and told my nana about it Mm. because I thought she'd be like, no, no, it's not real. But she goes... (laughs) I had a baby that I aborted when I was younger and her name was Elizabeth and she started Mm. crying going, my baby was, that was my baby and it was bizarre. Mm. But then like I've had other ones, like just uh, not as long a story. I've had other ones where I've seen other people be exercised and everyone will be praying over someone and they'll be praying over, you know, their cancer. Or one time I saw someone praying over a bad back and they got, if you can imagine someone's back, and you imagine someone just getting like their forearm and not touching the person, but moving their forearm from the base of their back all the way up to their shoulders. Mm. I saw someone doing that while they prayed and under their shirt, it's like you could see hundreds of tadpoles, like a hundred percent. You could see like hundreds of tadpoles moving above the line of the arm. So as they moved their arm up, it was like, you could see all these little weird, what? not that you could see the demons, but it's like, you could see this weird shape going mm. Up their back and out, and it was like there's things like that where I'm like, ah, oh, that's bizarre. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, I was 17 at that one. And you, that was cl- a clear memory, like you. Hundred percent. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. But then there's other ones. So as I got older, this is why I'm like, I kind of believe it a little bit. Like yeah. I believe there's definitely spirits and there's something, and I think that's why it freaks me out more. Yeah. When I see stuff like that, especially when we used to watch horror movies, when we, when we were in high school, mm. I still believed in it so much. I yeah. thought it was all so real. Um, but then I started to go, I think, like, if there are spirits and things like that, they have power because we think about them. For or sure. we, I agree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The more you think about them and the more you let those things, like, define things, I think the more it impacts you. Completely agree. Mm. It's so, it's almost like... In a way, it's a really, really what they what happened to you, like with the exorcism, is yeah. like a really extreme form of therapy. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Because like my, I, I've been to the psychologist and they, they use a similar technique, obviously not to the extreme where they'll say like, um, you know, let's put James away for a moment and we'll talk about an like, experience we'll, an experience, and we'll like bring, um, we'll, we'll give that part of your life an identity and we'll talk to that part of your life. I slapped a counselor one time who tried to do that with me afterwards because I was so traumatized oh, by this experience. <laughs> but that's what I was saying before is like, um, what makes me sad and like question religion sometimes yeah. is like especially with like gay conversion therapy mm. for example oh, is disgusting when they th- when uh people who are christian or priests believe mm. that they can cast away the human condition where like trauma and depression and anxiety affect a huge amount of people so i don't see wh- why they have to personify it as like a demon but you know what, um, like on the, you know, like the, not the conversion therapy itself, but talking about how the church believes that it's like curable or it's your worst yeah. self and then you can become your better self. Um, it's bizarre. Like I've never been in line with all that. Even when I was young, I thought it was strange. And then obviously I've, I've become older. I've yeah. had my own opinions, but I even remember going to church as young as like, you know, eight years old. And I remember seeing these you know everyone loved these huge transformations so they loved it when they could be like look how rubbish (laughs) this person Mm. is whether it's addiction or whether it's same-sex attraction or whatever they labeled as you know rubbish or sin or whatever and i remember seeing people get up and say their testimony which is just like their story they tell their testimony of you know I was same-sex attracted and someone prayed for me or exercised me. Jesus. Yeah, and then now um, I remember hearing one testimony that was like, I used to dress like a butch lesbian. Like they were talking about the clothes that they wear, wore as being like part of that Mm. Like, sorry, it probably makes you sick to hear it because it is gross, No, but it but happens like, though. And like, it's the, strange. the thing for me is like, um, these people who believe, who are in that community yeah. and that want to be a part of that community, they want to be accepted by the Christian community, I think that um, if, if you're told something's wrong yeah. so, so much, yeah. like you're obviously going to eventually believe it and stop acting like stop acting that way or dressing that way mm. or looking that way because the people that want that you want to accept you, it's like when you're a kid and like the cool kids are there and they're like, oh, I have this cigarette. And you're like, oh, mm. no, no, I can't. But then they pressure you into having a cigarette and then you eventually start smoking mm. because like it's there's no difference. You want to be accepted. You want to be part of the community. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. No, it happens yeah. in life all the time. Yeah. But um, so where are you now with your relationship with like religion? That is a very interesting question <laughs> that I did not expect. Um, I, um, do you know, it's funny. I went to a church, so I haven't been going. I haven't gone in a few years. I went to a church the other day, two weeks ago. I don't I won't name them, but I was so mad at my friend. <laughs> she took me and she knew what the topic was. And I'm sitting there in the service and they were like, tonight... We're talking about homosexuality. Oh, my God. And I was like, fuck me. Can we not talk about things we don't understand? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not... Yeah. Can you, you don't get it, so can you not talk about it? For sure. And um, look, I'll be honest with you. It was actually, like, for the church, it was a progressive sermon. It was progressive in the sense that instead of talking about how we being... Hell. Well, instead of talking about how being gay was right or wrong, they were talking about, you know what, stop acting like it's some strange alien thing and start acting like there's someone probably in our congregation who is same sex attracted. Mm. Like they were trying to normalize it, but then at the same time there was yeah. also like, it's still bad. <laughs> yeah. like, but like in terms of the church, it was progressive, even yeah. though that's still very backwards. Um, 
in terms of me with religion, I really don't know. Like, mm. I find myself... Do you know Ruby Bisson? No. Everyone should look up Ruby Bisson. Okay. She's a great writer, and she's gone from being um, very, very, very much in the church. She's local to the Illawarra, and now... She was very, very in the church and then um, something happened to her and the church kind of turned their back on her a bit and she's now going through a journey of rejecting her faith because it's just Mm. something that... I think for a lot of kids like me, my parents were ministers, so they were preaching and so for me it was something that I grew up with. I didn't know anything else. And even now, if I'm feeling lonely or if I'm feeling sad, I immediately go, I should go to church. Mm. That's Um, community. Because of the community. It's community. Yeah, yeah it's love. And, but and then like now I think about um oh can I get heavy for like two minutes? No. Can you time me? <laughs> we've got a, we've got two minutes, literally. So oh, okay, so super quickly. Um the religion stuff for me, you know, I hate that they're not accepting. Mm. They say they're accepting, but their behaviours are different. For me, uh, anyone working in ministry is a psychopath because in order to deal with everyone's emotions and life and death and everything that comes with it and still function means that there's an aspect where you don't care about the people you're looking after. Mm. Um, So for me, it's something that I don't really want to be part of. Um, But it also made it... Being a Christian made it easier for me to have mental health issues. Yeah. Because my life wasn't my own to control. And I felt like, oh, God will fix it. God will do it. Whereas now, I have to work things out and do things. Yeah. You have to find medication. You have to go therapy. Go to the gym, get yeah, endorphins. Yeah, like, that. not just sit in the rain and go, God, give me and an pray, umbrella. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no, sorry. You know when people, like, go, oh, God, please let me not get wet, but then mm. they go out in the rain without an umbrella? Mm. That sort of thing? Yeah. Hate it. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think, for me, religion, I think everybody is entitled to their own beliefs. Yeah. Unless it um, hurts somebody else directly. I think that um, everybody can feel that sense of community. Yeah. Satanism, Muslim. Yeah. Christianity, Buddhism, it doesn't matter as I long as... I think people as... need religion sometimes. People do need yeah. it. People do need it. Most, yeah. I don't need it, personally. Yeah. A lot of my friends don't need it, but yeah. people do need it because they, yeah. they, they're lonely or they, they, they need to cling on to the belief that there is more the after, yeah, the like after a, life, after yeah. death, sorry. Um, but who, you know what? Who knows? I yeah. preach, like, those priests don't know. The Pope doesn't mm-hmm. know. Nobody actually knows what happens when he dies. No. So um, at the end of the day, I think, just don't be a, don't be a cunt, you know? Oh, do you know what? <laughs> just briefly, my partner, Jamal, yeah. he believes that the Bible could be conduced into one page just saying... Don't be a cunt. Literally. That's honestly what he thinks. I completely, because I completely agree. That's, that's meant to kind of be the point. It is, but it's, like, but it's not in the way. Where there's people, there's yeah. people poo. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. That's going to be a quote on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Copyright. <laughs> so we're going to take um, a brief break. Um, I'm going to play a clip from the story that's about to come up, and then we're going to get into it. So we'll see you so soon. Bye. Catholic. No, not me. I have no right to be Catholic. I'm too dirty. (coughs) Fairy tale stories often tell us to keep on believing in our dreams as they will come true eventually. And while we merely dream of having things like a car, a house, or a yacht, This person that we are about to meet is a different case entirely. A bizarre and unsettling one at that. 
Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> um, I'm here with Gabby and um, Gabby, I have to tell you that this story is horrifying. So anybody listening, I hope that you've eaten your food already. Because yeah, sometimes I make the dry retching sound if I'm scared. It's pretty gross. So okay. just prepare yourself. Um, I will be telling the story of Issei Sagawa. Okay. Issei Sagawa. He's from Japan. Okay. Did you make this story up? No. It's oh. a true story. Oh, okay. All of these stories are true, Gabby. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with a quote. Okay. Sometimes I wonder why I do... So- why... Wow. <clears throat> Go again. The teeth, the tip to the ting and that... What is that? The tip of the tongue to the teeth to the... T- t- I don't know that. now, brown, brown cow. cow. That's the one I know. Sorry. I'll start with a quote. Sometimes I wonder why I would do such a horrible thing. Maybe it's because I come from another planet or another dimension and I accidentally fell from Earth from an asteroid disguised as a baby. My mother walked by and felt pity for me. I feel like I'm the only one of my kind on this planet. And that's what he said in a documentary on Vice, which is a very, very popular documentary. And I've it's like stuck with me for a long time. I've always wanted to like do a story on it. What's his Um, name again? Issei Sagawa. Issei? Issei. Issei. Yeah. So Sagawa was born April 26, 1949, and he was also known as Pang, which I'll refer to Pang. him as. easier. Easy to pronounce. He was a Japanese man living in Paris. Um, before he moved to Paris, um, he was born in Kobe, which is in Japan, and his parents were quite wealthy. So um, what year is this? 1949 he was okay, born. Okay, yep. Um, the doctors who delivered Pang didn't actually believe he would survive because he was so small that he could fit in the palm of his father's hand. He was oh, my very, God. He was very prematurely delivered. Um, and he was very weak and almost uh, almost died from intestinal problems, but he actually... Because he was so small. Because he was so small. Mm. And he's actually, when he grew up um, as a child and a teen, he was very skinny, very frail, very short. Yeah. Um, just a small guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he described his childhood as being the best time of his life. He was always surrounded by nature. His parents loved him very, very much. Um, he would always go to the beach. And there's some really beautiful photos of him from, like, the 50s. It's going to get fucked, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> there's beautiful photos. Um, from, there's something about, like... 50s to 60s Japan, um, looking at vintage photos, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Something about it that's just so, um, it's so different to my childhood. And like, yeah. when you look at your grandparents' photos, it's so different. Yeah. It's so beautiful and traditional. And like, yeah, I just find there's it so much more culture about it. And just there is, yeah, there's more, more of an ancient culture to it. And yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, this story is not beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so, an issue that Pang brought up about his childhood is that he. That is sorry. The subject of sex never came up in his household. Oh. Um, his parents never actually even said the word sex ever. Wow. Um, so when he was old enough to have an erection, um, and he didn't know what masturbation was, he didn't know what it was. No, he wasn't educated on oh, it. Oh no. Um, he would perform bestiality with his dog. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. No, it, no, she, yeah, it does. That's not normal. No, no, it's okay. Every person lives their life through their own eyes. It makes complete sense. No human has ever spoken to him about sex. Yeah. He's got no idea. His dog is probably his best friend. I guess they so. They probably do everything together. But I'm I, not saying it's right. I'm just saying it makes I just sense. Think intrinsically, as human beings, you have sexual desire for another human being, not a dog. He will have to ask There's something him. wrong. There's something wrong. Yes, but it makes sense. <laughs> I, in his eyes, it makes sense. Yes, for and sure. mine. <laughs> Gabby, please don't go home and fuck no, your dog. <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> well, don't fuck your cat. Just don't fuck any animal, yeah, okay? I, no, I won't. I won't. I never would. I just... Bloody hope not. I'm just saying it makes sense. Um, everybody, lock up your dogs. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, he mentioned that around this time of sexual confusion mm-hmm. um, and desire, his attraction and desire began to warp and it got a bit dark. So he was fascinated by Western women and how they were tall and strong, unlike him. So he idolized blonde, tall, strong American women and European women. And he was particularly fascinated by their thighs. Can I just say, yeah. as a woman, mm. I feel unsettled more by the fact that he's gone from a dog to a woman. <laughs> it is a strange jump. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I don't know, but he, he did was the weird fascination with the thighs. Does he have a biography? Like uh, a... We will get to that. Oh, sorry. Whole point. No, yep, no, there's yep. a whole point I'm going to make on that. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so at 24 years old in Japan, Pang followed a German woman home broke into her apartment while she was sleeping naked. Um, And as he was walking past her sleeping body, his knees accidentally brushed on her chest and she woke up. I don't know if it's an accident. It's not like he didn't mean to be there. Yeah, but he was, he was going, he was planning to do something to her. Yeah. She woke up. Oh, Um, sorry. Yeah. So she woke up screaming, um, pinned him to the ground and he was captured by the police and charged (gasps) with attempted rape. Um, In 1977, at the age of 27, Pang moved to France to pursue a PhD in literature in Paris. It's fucked. It just, it just gets worse, trust me. How can you function so well as a human and be so, like, non-functioning? Yeah, the thing about... Um, like, abnormal. The scary thing is that when he was uh, charged with attempted rape in Japan in at 24 years old, so it would have been, like, yeah. in the 60s, he yeah. only got, like, a couple of weeks in prison, which is kind of scary. But I think that's because how could you prove... Do you know what I mean? Like, the proof... Mm. He was definitely obviously broken and had bad intentions. <clears throat> Absolutely, and I think um, in the 60s law was a lot different. That's true. And Japan, a lot different. Even that's more. true, that's true. Uh, in 1977, yeah, he moved to France. Um, he said that while he was residing in Paris, almost every night he would bring home a sex worker and would try and shoot them, but his fingers would freeze up and he couldn't pull the trigger. Did these women know that no, he had the... No, he didn't. It would be, like, their head would be turned oh. or the gun would be in his... Um... Is this part of his sexual, like, like... It's this the, is part of the warping of his sexual he has, identity. He has more of a um, a goal, which I'll talk about. Oh, in a okay. Um, but Sorry. the 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 first goal was to murder someone. Yeah. But then yeah, so Pang met a woman named Renee Hartevelt during his uh, course at, uni- at university in Paris. She was a classmate of Pang's, and he didn't speak to her until right at the end of the course. And during the course, he would mention that he would try not to be caught staring at her in class. And would even like draw pictures of her on his notebook. Was quite fascinated by her because he was the, the ideal woman that he fascinated as as, as a child. Do you know what? Like someone obsessing over you like that is like the ideal version of someone like being romantic <laughs> towards you. Like I'm not saying he. Have in you particular. seen you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I I have seen you, and I've also talked with many females who actually think, aside from the actual creepy things he does, he's quite nice. He's so romantic. I think it's romantic. If someone, if I found out that someone had been drawing pictures of me in their notebook for years, I I can see, I can see that for sure. I can see that. Um, Maybe not in this context. In this context, absolutely not. Yeah. But for sure, I think a, a true romantic if they're yeah. drawing photos of you and there's no bad intention. Yeah, with it, absolutely. That's so nice. It is nice, but you just wait. <laughs> I'm gonna feel really bad. You when are. We get to <laughs> so on June 11th. Uh, 1981, Pang, who was then 32 years old, mm-hmm. invited his classmate Renee Hardevelt, 25, to dinner um, at his apartment, saying to Renee, which was a lie, that his professor wanted them to translate German poetry for a school assignment. Um, 
that was the pretext that he told her. So she has actually got no idea it's a date. She's going there for po- work. I think um, if someone if someone is asking you over for like to do poetry and have dinner, because he said dinner as well, I think there is something, there is a vibe, you know? Do you think so? No, because no? I went to church with someone for years, had no idea they liked me. We used mm. to hang out and then they said, hey, I've got free tickets to go to this thing. Want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. Thought See, we were mates. And then all of a sudden it was a date. Even you telling me that, I'm like, that's a date. Oh. Nobody, in my opinion, nobody invites you somewhere unless they, unless they genuinely want to get to know you as a more than a friend. Unless they've made it very obvious that ju- you're just friends. I'll have to remember that. I'm taking everyone. I'll have to remember. That. <laughs> Same. Don't invite me to gigs <laughs> ever. <laughs> no, I love. Please give me tickets. I'm yeah, free. Um. So after she arrived, she began reading poetry at the desk with her back turned to him. Mm-hmm. So she was hunched over the desk, um, small uh, lamp, and she was writing on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. As she is writing, he retrieves a rifle from a um, wardrobe on the other side of the room. Her back still turned. He shoots her in the back of the neck. <gasps> She falls onto the desk and then eventually onto the floor and he faints. He faints? He faints. Is that part of his orgasm? He is so overwhelmed by nerves and panics, he fainted. He's a true wuss. Every time he mentions anything about even trying to hurt someone, which I don't condone, he would always say, I was too scared, I couldn't do it. Like, he would only ever use a gun because, like, he understands that... um, He's scared of blood. It just he's just a bit, bit yeah. He thought about it, but I think that's his idealistic side coming out. For sure, I agree. Um, so when he when he actually finally woke up and realized that he killed her, he wanted to continue his plan. Really? Yeah. So his plan was to have sex with her corpse, which he did. Um, he then left the apartment and purchased a butcher knife. Pang returned to the apartment. Um, so Pang believed that he was small, ugly, and frail, like I mentioned before, and he described Renee as strong and beautiful, and so he wanted to absorb her traits and her, her Abs- energy. Oh. He cut off her breasts and most of her face and ate them raw. The skin or the muscle? The muscle and the cartilage. He then saved the rest of her body in cutting it up and put it in a refrigerator. Um, before Pang went to purchase a butcher knife, he actually tried to bite into her Right buttock. We couldn't. But hurt his jaw. So he had to go buy a knife. Yeah. While eating the right buttock, he mentioned that he expected to see bright red flesh immediately, but instead there was a yellow corn-like substance under the skin, which he found out was fat. Yeah. And he didn't didn't expect that and didn't like that. It's bizarre that he's been so obsessed but hasn't actually... Although, I suppose, I don't know if it's about the time when it happened, but... Like he didn't uh, research. No, he didn't. The body. He didn't realize there was fat, fat under the skin. Under the skin, and yeah. he was a bit turned off by it. But he still ate it. Yeah. And he was. He uh, ate the fat, or he ate the muscle. He ate the whole thing. Wow. And he also. And the skin. He would eat, he the whole thing the thigh the uh, the the right buttock because the left buttock mm-hmm. apparently was too close to the heart and would bleed too much. He didn't like blood. And Isn't he, the buttock the butt? Yeah. It's too close to the heart. He said that the left the research that he did the left buttock would bleed more than the right. So he didn't want to have too much Isn't blood. your heart on the right? The heart's on the left. Oh, sorry about that. That's right. <laughs> um, so then he also took photographs of her body at each stage of the, wow. me- of the meal. You can are these see- Polaroids? They are, and you can see them online. Wow. And unfortunately, I looked them up, which I probably shouldn't have done, but I did. 
I can't not. I have yeah. to see it. I, I have an inkling too, but it's I like, couldn't even yeah. eat after him. I'm really sick. Oh, yeah, gross. Uh, so then he attempted to dump the remainder of her body in a nearby lake, but he packed the body into two suitcases, and as he was walking, he was uh, stopped by French police because it's very sus in the middle of the night. Yeah, two um, suitcases yeah. near a lake. It's really fucking weird. When he was caught, he was carrying yeah the suitcases, and uh, one of the police officers opened the suitcase and said, is this your suitcase? And he said, no, no I'm delivering yeah. it for someone. Um, they opened up the suitcase to find bloody sheets, and under the bloody sheets were the dismembered remains of Rene Hardefelt. Um, he simply walked away. What do you mean he walked away? He didn't know how to act, so he just walked away. What did they do? So four days later, he was arrested. Four days later? Four days later, they couldn't find him. Four days. He, but he walked away, he didn't walked run. away, yeah, it's really strange. Maybe they were just I think so shocked. The shock, the pure yeah. shock of it all. Um, Pank says that he, <laughs> Pank says that he was relieved that he was actually caught because he could finally talk to someone about his problems, and um, I've heard that he was happy to talk to psychiatrists about his desires. Pang's wealthy father provided a lawyer for his defense, and after being held for two years awaiting trial, psychiatrists concluded that Pang was cl- clinically insane and was sent to a uh, criminal psychiatric ward. That's unfair. What's unfair? I hate when people get. Oh, there's so many. Don't even. I hate when people get to be don't clinically get me started insane. On, He's not. Don't get me started. He's so not many clinically lawyers, insane. He's so just many, wrong. So many lawyers play that card to get yeah. leniency, and it makes me so sick. But I think in certain cases it's true. That, but in certain cases it's not. No. But okay, it doesn't matter. I, oh, people are gonna hate me for this. I don't know. Okay, ultimately yeah. I don't know. But my gut feeling is you've done something wrong. It's like what we were saying before. Don't be a cunt. Don't be a cunt. Don't and murder the eight people. Yeah, don't murder it. Murder is. It's not like he thinks he's murdering her to send her to heaven. To he knew fa- roughly what that I, she'd be dead. I agree. And like to um, what's the word when you like fuck with a body? Um, mutilation. Yeah, mutilate a body and like just yeah. degrade the body. Yeah. That's a whole new crime in itself to me. It's different. And I think um, but although like the story I told in the last episode about the two girls, twelve-year-old mm. girls who, mm. who almost murdered their friend. They were trialed under the the guise of um, mental illness. And I think that is one of the rare cases where I genuinely believe that she had undiagnosed schizophrenia. Because the way she admits to the murder, the uh, the attempted murder, the way that she talks about the plan is so blasé. And no other 12-year-old, in my opinion, would be able to have that kind of graphic detail and not feel anything. I'm not... And not even have any remorse. I'm not saying he's not mentally unwell. I just hate a, yeah, I no. just hate when they get to go... Lenience. I hate that clinically insane is like a white card. It gets scarier, actually, so... Oh, I know. The French okay. public The French public was so outraged that taxpayers were wasting their money keeping Pang in a criminal psychiatric ward that he was eventually deported to Japan, back home. After arriving in Japan, authorities declared that Pang wasn't, in fact, mentally insane but actually just suffered from personality disorder and was discharged from hospital. Do you know what scares me about that? Yeah. I have a personality disorder. Do the, you, like... But the problem I, is you wouldn't murder and eat someone. We don't know that now. Gabby, don't look at me like that. <laughs> stop drooling. No, ge- no, sorry. I laughed, but no, Put genuinely, I do down. that scary. No, stop. <laughs> Put that neckerchief down. Put that tomato That's sauce so away. <laughs> but the thing is, I think... That's uh, scary. It is scary because to me it's a misdiagnosis. He doesn't have personality disorder. It's something severely wrong and they've just let him go. I think that he needs a lot of help and they haven't given Do you given know it to what him. I think it is? Me, the psychologist, Gabby. Yeah, um, PhD. <laughs> I think, you know the attachment theory? Yeah. 
his parents were obviously, you know, they didn't talk about sex. They probably didn't talk about anything like that. Mm. So, like, the attachment that he built towards other people has been very abnormal, probably, I in agree. his younger years. And I it's probably think, all fed um, in. Not excusing anything, but it's probably fed into it. I completely agree. I also think that um, his desire to absorb oh. people that's what, how he describes it absorbing strength like he doesn't want to be alone like he wants yeah, to yeah he wants to always have that woman's essence inside of him always so yeah he, he, his desire goes past sexual and into dark and almost uh inhumane yeah yeah so pang was asked by oh sorry um yeah so after he was discharged he found it really hard to get a job no shit and um, also found a hard place, hard to find somewhere to live. No shit. Well, people need to be more respectful of diversity. <laughs> he murdered someone. No, I'm being. I was just being funny. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> so Pang, he was he was asked by many media outlets to write articles. He would have done it. Yeah, he paid a lot of money. He was also <sighs> eventually led him to write his own book, which you can read online. <gasps> he would also every day he works on different novels and essays. He's written twenty Today. books. Today he's written 20 oh. books um, and he's also worked on some fucked up, disturbing comics that are just horrible to look Does at. Does he make movies? So he was actually in a, in a short film. Oh. He was invited by uh, a, a filmmaker named Terry Eco in 1995 um, in a short film. Uh, they measured his strength in the film, like they got him to uh, pull weights and they'd kind of made fun like of him. Like it was like a documentary almost. It's like an artsy kind of yeah, weird experimental. Okay. It's like okay. exploitation film. Yeah, yeah, okay. They made a lot of fun of him. They they also reenacted the murder as Little Red Little Red Riding Hood, and they got Little Red Riding Hood to play Renee, and Pang was the wolf. <gasps> and Pang would say in the film, "You're a bit skinny, but you look delicious." This is horrific. You can watch this short film online, and he's playing this wolf. And I like, would want to hunt him down. It's really scary. It's disgusting. It is. Um, Pang eventually found it impossible to find any publishers for his future books, and he was almost what a shock. <laughs> <laughs> and he was actually almost accepted into a French language school, but was denied entry after outrage they by realized. colleagues. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pang said after the crime, he would continue to chase Western women to date them. He would steal money to pay for Western sex workers, and even sold his brother's cello to pay for these sex workers. Not the cello. Not the cello. Pang says that if his sexual desires grow. His desire to eat women also grows, but... So the two so linked. Very linked to wow. him. But Pang, during the time of this specific documentary that I watched, was 61. He is now impotent and can no longer masturbate, which means that he's really worried because <gasps> oh his cannibalistic no. desire is growing. What? Um, he's saying that because... So he they can't... used to be linked and now the other one's just growing on its he's own. He's saying because he can't masturbate anymore and suppress his sexual desire, he wants to eat people again. Well, he doesn't understand cause and effect. He doesn't. No, absolutely not. I mean, I don't know why I'm only saying that at this point. But. <laughs> yeah, but the whole entire thing is, yeah, you're right. Um, but now in the final scene of the documentary, Peng says that his fantasies have shifted from cannibalism to being killed. He says that he wants to be torn apart alive by a beautiful woman. I mean, is that a fantasy or is that suicidal? He... He, he, it's fantasy, ultimate fantasy. It's ultimate fantasy. Ultimate, to end all fantasies. It's he also to think um, about. It is. Uh, just a little update. He is he since been hospitalised for cerebral inf infarction. What's that? It is a side effect of eating human flesh, which has permanently damaged his nervous system, 
Since being released from hospital, he's now under the full-time care of his brother. Do you know what's scary about that? Yeah. Is that enough people have gone hospital with that from eating human flesh that they've now diagnosed it and know what it's from. Scary. That's terrifying. It's like it's um, in the same realm of mad cow's disease. When you eat certain flesh, you can get like your brain can swell. Oh my God, that's probably what's happened. Has anyone done any brain things on him? He's still alive. Oh, so they can't. No, he's still alive. Um, so that's the story of, of you say, Sakawa or Peng. Here's my thing. Okay. My opinion is that it's so important in in culture and families to talk about sex from an early age. Oh, 100%. And I think that um, a lot of sexual deviance and crimes that occur is because... Uh, sex in the home is taboo and Mm. should be ashamed of and Mm. is something negative Mm. whereas it doesn't have to be celebrated but it just has to be like talked about and like normalized so like can i tell a very short story yeah please i grew up like that so my mum was like sex is bad never grow up and have sex (laughs) and you know obviously the church is a little bit like that too and then when my mum left when i was 16 i moved in with my auntie and uncle not my uncle i didn't really talk to him about it obviously but my auntie was like so much more open about it like i felt dirty and like I wasn't allowed to even like know what was under my underwear (laughs) and like it was like a super bizarre experience kind of transitioning into adulthood and realizing there's nothing wrong with sex and like the more that you express it and talk about it and in like a healthy way the more healthy you are as an individual Mm. I think when you you leave things alone to fester on their own without outside conversation this is what happens for sure you eat, you better eat something. Absolutely. I just think uh, I would recommend if you're into this story and you want to be a bit more spooked, um, the documentary is on Vice on YouTube, the whole documentary, and also you can watch the short films on YouTube as well. And if you're really feeling game, which I don't know, I would recommend, but you can see the photos of the body, um, which is, it's I would gross. recommend you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Look, morbid curiosity. Yeah. All humans have it. But, um, yeah, that's the story. It's always been something that has been, that stuck with me for a long time because like cannibalism to me is just the ultimate, ultimate form of fucked uppery. Yeah. I just don't think there's anything worse that a human can do to another human. I just think it's the most disgusting thing. Do you know there's a cafe in New York that, um, sorry, there's a cafe in New York and people were lined up around the block for them and everyone wanted their secret recipe. Someone put a camera in their van to try and find out their secret recipe and it caught them going to the morgue and getting unclaimed bodies (gasps) and everyone had been eating people. Is that real? I believe it. (laughs) It sounds like a publicity stunt, but it sounds good. I believe it. Yeah, it's a nice story. Not a nice story, but... I I get it. Yeah. Well, I also watched this, um... On the, on the topic of blood and cannibalism, I yeah. watched a documentary about uh, real-life vampires in, in New Orleans. Oh. So they live in a house together, they live in their coven, and they uh, the, the lead vampire, who's this, like, 45-year-old man... Yeah. He, this is real? This is real. He recruits uh, teen boys, because he's gay, he, re- re- recruit, yeah. he can only um, recruit yeah, people that he's attracted to. Yes. He uh, takes them to the bathroom once every night, and he'll cut... Like a bit of them and drink them. He'll cut their chest. They'll slice. He'll slice their chest with a razor blade and then suck on their blood um, every night to keep him strong. And he says that it keeps him healthy. And see, that doesn't bother me so much, only because me. I've seen the Vampire Diaries and yeah. Stefan feeds on Elena, and it's quite romantic the way they do it. Yeah, it wasn't. Ro- it was a dank bathroom with like gloves and like it's a whole sterile, scary thing. I just like to see the bright side of things. I suppose. I, know, I love that. For, I love that for you. Um, <laughs> What I'm going to do, I'm going to show you a quick scene from 
the short film that he was in. Where, uh, she's, where he recreated... Where he's the mm. big bad wolf. Um, because I think it's... It's weirdly, it's weirdly fascinating, but also because he is himself. Like, normally reenactments aren't the people that did it. But is because, it very creative? No, not at all. Oh. <laughs> it's very 90s, very, oh, okay. very 90s vibes. I was like, what if uh, I love the documentary? So here it is. Oh, very Handmaid's Tale hey, meets, so like... Oh. I'm talking about the fruits in your basket. Is that him? Yeah. Who's she? Does she look actor? Just an actor. I'm so angry. It's strange. What makes me angry about that? He looks like he's making fun of the whole thing. He looks like he's he can't being act sarcastic. Though. He can't act. But he, he looks I, like I agree. He, he seems shouldn't like be, he's like making fun of it. He shouldn't be. Uh, if they're gonna making, do anything about it. They shouldn't be making any money off. No. Like, he shouldn't be making money off this. The thing is, like, they also interviewed the act, uh, the actor that was in that film, the the girl, yeah. and uh, she was saying that when they were doing like, a read through of the script, he kept staring at her thighs, and making it very uncomfortable. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Yeah, they'd be in the car, and he would like um, just keep staring at her legs. But also, just like devil's advocate, he like yes, he shouldn't make money from like the atrocities he's committed. But at the same time, what about people that write all of these atrocities? And don't necessarily commit them, but it's like they're still putting that experience out there. That's a really good point. It. Really good point. Plus also, uh, not justifying anything he did, but yeah, yeah. it's the only way he could have made money. And he knew that. He even says in the documentary, uh, Japanese people keep getting me to sign my book and from the person that did it because they have the same morbid fantasies yeah, that I do. Yeah, wow. And he, like, he under- he's pretty aware of that. But do also, you think that's really like, that's like a mini culture going around? I don't know. It's it's fascinating. It's weird. Yeah. I, I personally wouldn't. Uh, if this is your mini fantasy, please let us know. Let me know. Yeah. Also, stay away from me. <laughs> yeah. I don't want anything to do with you. Just anonymously. Just anonymously. You know. Anonymously, let me know. But also, uh, stay us. away. Yeah. Stay away. Far far away. As yeah. long as, as far as you can go. Um, Gabby. Yep. That's 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 it for the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having Did me. Did you have fun? I had so much fun. Did that story make you feel a bit weird. Yeah, I wanted to talk a lot more because it was, I was reacting so much to it. Mm. It's just gross. It's disgusting. I don't mind hearing the story. Like, horrible things happen. So it's, like, horrible hearing what happened, but then it's, like, worse hearing how he's, like, making a life from it. Yeah, that's the part, scary part to me. Yeah, society's and can, crazy. And the scary part is that you can actually read it and see his art. And I probably like, will when I go home. When you look at it, you're like, this is a man that murdered someone yeah. and ate her. And you can look at his art because art is such a... If you a, did that for art, would they just be like, this is art? Well, his art sold really well. There were portraits But you know, like, women. gorilla art, where it's like, it's meant to shock you and it's meant to be offensive. Maybe he'd just be like, this is my like art. gorilla art? There's like, I don't know, there's a type of art where it's like... What's gorilla art? Gorilla art. It's like attack art, like... Oh my god, I was imagine like, paintings of gorillas. Oh my god, no, 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 no. Like, G-U-E-R. Like, gorilla. I don't know how to spell it, Yep. I understand. Like, <laughs> rebel art. Yeah, rebel art. Gotcha. Yeah, this Sorry. Is, this is his rebel art. Imagine, like, what's that Jane, the lady who lived with the gorillas? <laughs> like her <laughs> and Jane. No, no, uh, no the, uh, the scientist. <laughs> she lived with the gorillas. Have you read the book about... Sorry, gorillas now we're just talking mist. about rubbish. But have you read that book about the girl that grew up with monkeys in in America? The gorillas in the Mist. Uh, it's not that, but that sounds interesting. Oh, okay. They killed her. Oh, no, this one's alive. Okay, she's alive. She's Good alive. She's got a fan of that 14. 
That's the dream, really, living with monkeys. They're so cute. Sorry, okay. I'm just saying chat, but thanks for, thanks for listening. Um, you can also, apparently, weird, you can actually listen to the podcast on Google Podcasts. I didn't even know. I didn't know how I got on there, but if that's your preferred medium, go for it. Otherwise, you can follow us on Instagram at scaredshitlesspod, uh, Facebook, scaredshitlesspod, and Spotify. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts because it does mean a lot. That's the only way you can, like, get noticed. Um, and, yeah, I'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Gabby, for joining me. No worries. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, 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 bye. 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 bye.